Chapter 9 of Railstone Luck by Andre Norton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9 Portrait of a Lady and a Gentleman. Rupert had dismissed Val's story of what he had seen in the hall in a very lofty manner. When his brother had persisted in it, Rupert suggested that Val had better keep out of the sun in the morning, for no trace of the thing which had troubled the house remained. Ricky hesitated between believing wholly in Val's tale or just in his powers of imagination, and between them his family drove him sulky to bed. He was still frowning, or maybe it was a new frown, when he looked into the bathroom mirror the next morning as he dressed. For Val knew that he had seen something in the hall, something monstrous which had no right to be there. What had their rival said before he left? Play it that way and you won't be here a month from now. It was just possible, Val paused, half in, half out of his shirt. Could last night's adventure have anything to do with that threat? Two or three episodes of that sort might unsettle the strongest nerves and drive the occupants from a house where such a shadow walked. Something else nagged at the boy's memory. Slowly he traced back over the events of the day before, from the moment when he had watched that queer swamp car crawl downstream. After the visit of the rival, Lucy had come to stay, and then Ricky had started for charities while he had gone down to the bayou where he had met Jeems. That was it. Jeems, when Ricky had hinted that he knew more of the swamp than the Railstones did, why had he been so quick to resent that remark? Could it be because he understood her to mean that he knew more of Pirate's Haven than they did? And the thing in the long hall last night had known of some exit in the wall that the Railstones did not know of. It had faded into the base of the staircase, and yet, when Val had gone over the paneling there inch by inch, he had gained nothing but sore fingertips. He tucked his shirt under his belt and looked down to see if Sam Jr. had polished his boots as Lucy had ordered her son to do. Save for a trace of mud by the right heel, they had the proper mirror-like surface. Mr. Val, Lucy's penetrating voice made him start guiltily. Is you or is you not coming to breakfast? I am, he answered, and started downstairs at his swiftest pace. The new ruler of their household was standing at the foot of the stairs, her knuckles resting on her broad hips. She eyed the boy sternly. Lucy eyed one, Val thought, much as a Scotch nurse Ricky and he had once had. They had never dared to question any of Annie's decrees, and one look from her had been enough to reduce them to instant order. Lucy's eye had the same power, and now, as she herded Val into the dining room, he felt like a six-year-old with an uneasy conscience. Rupert and Ricky were already seated and eating. That is, Ricky was eating, but Rupert was reading his morning mail. You all sits down, said Lucy firmly, and you all eats what's on your plate. You all ain't much fatter nor a jaybird. I don't see why she keeps comparing me to a living skeleton all the time, Val complained as she departed kitchenward. She told Letty Lou yesterday, supplied Ricky through a mouthful of popover, that you are peaked looking. Why doesn't she start in on Rupert? He needs another ten pounds or so. Val reached for the butter, and he hasn't got a very good color either. Val surveyed his brother professionally. Doesn't get outdoors enough. No, Ricky's voice sounded aggrieved. 
He's too busy having secrets. Hmm, Rupert murmured, more interested in his letter than in the conversation. The trouble is that we are not Chinese bandits, Malay pirates, or Arab freebooters. We don't possess color, life, enough, uh, enough, uh, sugar. Rupert interrupted Val, pushing his coffee cup in the general direction of Ricky, without raising his eyes from the page in his hand. She giggled. So that's what we lack. Well, now we know. How much sugar should we have, Rupert? Rupert? Mr. Rupert Railstone? Mr. Rupert Railstone of Pirate's Haven? Her voice grew louder and shriller until he did lay down his reading matter and really looked at them for the first time. What do you want? A little attention, answered Ricky sweetly. We aren't Chinese, Arabs or Malays, but we are kind of nice to know, aren't we, Val? If you'd only come out of your subconscious or wherever you are most of the time, you'd find that out without being told. Rupert laughed and pushed away his letters. Sorry I picked up the bad habit of reading at breakfast when I didn't have my table brightened by your presence. I know, he became serious, that I haven't been much of a family man, but there are reasons. Which of course you cannot tell us, flashed Ricky. His face lengthened ruefully. He pulled at his tie with an embarrassed frown. Not yet, anyway, I... He fumbled with his napkin. Oh well, let me see how it comes out first. Ricky opened her eyes to their widest extent and leaned forward, every inch of her expressing awe. Rupert, don't tell me that you are an inventor, she cried. Now I know that we'll end in the poor house, Val observed. Rupert had recovered his composure. I am what I am, he quoted. Very well, keep it to yourself then, pouted Ricky. We can have secrets too. I don't doubt it. He glanced at Val. Unfortunately, you always tell them. Seen any more bogies last night, Val? Did a big black formless something reach out from under the bed and clutch at you? But his brother refused to be drawn. No, but when it does, I'll stick it onto you. A big black formless something is just what you need, and I'll... Am I interrupting? Charity stood in the door. Goodness, haven't you finished breakfast yet? Do you people know that it's almost ten? Madam, we have banished time. Rupert drew out the chair at his left. Will you favor us with your company? I thought you were going to be busy today, said Ricky, as she rang for Letty Lou and a fresh cup of coffee for their guest. So did I, sighed Charity, and I should be. I've got this order, you know, and now I can't get any models. Why there should be a sudden dearth of them right now, I can't imagine. I thought I could use Jeems again, but somehow he isn't the type. She raised her cup to her lips. Are you doing story illustrations? asked Rupert, more alive now than he had been all morning. Yes, a historical thriller for a magazine. They want a full page cut for the first chapter and a half page to illustrate the most exciting scene. Then there are innumerable smaller ones. But the two large ones are what I'm worrying about. I like to get the important stuff finished first and now I simply can't get models who are the right types. What's the story about? demanded Ricky. It's laid in Haiti during the French invasion led by Napoleon's brother-in-law, the one who married Pauline. All voodoo and aristocratic. Young hero and beautiful maiden pursued by an officer of the black rebels and, she almost wailed, there I am with the clothes spread all over my bed, the right costumes, you know, with no one to wear them. 
I went over to the corners this morning and called Johnson. He runs a registration office for models, but he couldn't promise me anyone. She bit absent-mindedly into a round spiced roll Ricky had placed before her. Wait! She laid down the roll in a preoccupied fashion and stared across the table. Val, stand up! Wondering, he pushed back his chair and arose obediently. Turn your head a little more to the right, Charity ordered. There, that's it. Now try to look as if there was something all ready to spring at you from that corner over there. For one angry moment he thought that she had been told of what had happened the night before and was baiting him as the others had done. But a sidewise glance showed him that her interest lay elsewhere. So he screwed up his features into what he fondly hoped was a grim and deadly smile. For goodness sake, don't look as if you have eaten green apples, Ricky shot at him. Just put on that face you wear when I show you a new hat. No, not that sneering one, the other. Rupert threw back his head and laughed heartily. Better let him alone, Ricky, after all, it's his face. I'm glad that someone has pointed out that fact, Val said stiffly, because... Oh, do be quiet. Charity leaned forward across the table. Yes, she nodded. You'll do. For what? Val asked, slightly apprehensive. For my hero. Of course your hair is too short and you are rather too youthful, but I can disguise those points. And, she turned upon Ricky, you can be the lady in distress, which gives me another idea. Do you suppose that I might use your terrace for a background and have that big chair, the one with the high back? She asked Rupert. You may have anything you want within these walls, he answered lightly enough, but it was clear that he really meant it. What am I supposed to do? Val asked. Charity considered. I think I'll try the action one first, she said half to herself. That's going to be the most difficult. Ricky, will you send one of Lucy's children over with me to help carry back the costumes and my material? She was already at the door. Val and I will go instead, Ricky replied. Some twenty minutes later, Val was handed a suitcase and told to use the contents to cover his back. Having doubts of the wisdom of the whole affair, he reluctantly went upstairs to obey. But the result was not so bad. The broad-shouldered, narrow-waisted coat did not fit him ill, although the shiny boots were at least a size too large. Timidly, he went down. Ricky was the first to see him. Val, you look like something out of Lloyd's of London. Rupert, look at Val. Doesn't he look wonderful? Having thus made public his embarrassment, she ran to the mirror to finish her own pranking. The high-waisted empire gown of soft green voile made her appear taller than usual, but she walked with a little shuffle which suggested that her ribbon-strapped slippers fitted her no better than Val's boots did him. Charity was coaxing Ricky's tight, fashionable curls into a looser arrangement and tying a green ribbon about them. This done, she turned to survey Val. I thought so. She said with satisfaction, you are just what I want, but, the tiny lines about her eyes crinkled in amusement, at present, you are just a little too perfect. Do you realize that you have just fought off an attack led by a witch doctor in which you were wounded? That you have struggled through a jungle for seven hours in order to reach up its road? And that you are facing death by torture? I hardly think that you should look as if you had just stepped out of the tailors. I've done all that? Val demanded, somewhat staggered. Oh, well, the author says you have, so you've got to look it. 
We'd better muss you up a bit. Let's see. She tapped her fingernail against her teeth as she looked him up and down. Off with that coat first. He wriggled out of the coat and stood with the glories of his ruffled shirt fully displayed. Now what? he asked. This. She reached forward and ripped his left sleeve to the shoulder. Untie that cravat and take it off. Roll up your other sleeve above the elbow. That's right, Ricky. You muss up his hair. Let a lock of it fall across his forehead. No, not there. There. Good. Now he's ready for the final touches. She went to the table where her paints had been left. Let's see. Carmine, that ought to be right. This is watercolor, Val. It'll all wash off in a minute. Across his smooth, tanned cheek, she dribbled a jagged line of scarlet. Then, instructing Ricky to bind the torn edge of his sleeve above his elbow, she also stained the bandage. Well, she turned to Rupert. He looks as though he had been through the wars all right, he agreed. But what about the costume? Oh, we needn't worry about that. They knew I'd have to do this, so they duplicated everything. Now for you, Ricky. Pull your sleeve down off your shoulder and see if you can tear the skirt up from the hem on that side, about as far as your knee. Yes, that's fine. You're ready now. Rupert picked up from the table a sword and a long-barreled dueling pistol and led the way out onto the terrace. Charity pointed to the big chair in the sunlight. This will probably be hard for you too, she warned them frankly. If you get tired, don't hesitate to tell me. I'll give you a rest every ten minutes. Val, you sit down in the chair. Slump over toward that arm as if you were about finished. No, more limp than that. Now look straight ahead. You are on the terrace of Beauvalet. Beside you is the girl you love. You are all that stands between her and the black rebels. Now take the sword in your right hand and the pistol in your left. Lean forward a little. There, now don't move. You've got just the pose I want. Ricky, crouch down by the side of his chair with your arm up so that you can touch his hand. You're terrified. There's death, horrible death before you. Val could feel Ricky's hand quiver against his. Charity had made them both see and feel what she wanted them to. They weren't in the peaceful sunlight on the terrace of Pirate's Haven. They were miles farther south in the dark land of Haiti, the Haiti of more than a hundred years ago. Before them was a semi-tropical forest from which at any moment might crawl death. Val's hand tightened on the sword hilt. The pistol butt was clammy in his grip. Rupert had put up the easel and laid out the paints, and now, taking up a charcoal, Charity began to sketch with clear, clean strokes. Her model's unaccustomed muscles cramped so that when they shifted during their rest periods, they grimaced with pain. Ricky whispered that she did not wonder models were hard to get. After a while, Rupert went away without Charity noticing his leaving. The sun burned Val's cheek where the paint had dried, and he felt a trickle of moisture edge down his spine. But Charity worked on, thoroughly intent upon what was growing under her brushes. It must have been close to noon when she was at last interrupted. Hello there, Miss Biglow. Two men stood below the terrace on a garden path. One of them waved his hat as Charity looked around, and behind them stood Jeems. Go away, said the worker. Go away, Judson Holmes. I haven't any time for you today. Not after I've come all the way from New York to see you? He asked reproachfully. Why, Charity? He had the reddest hair Val had ever seen, and the homeliest face, but his small boy grin was friendliness itself. Go away, 
she repeated stubbornly. Nope. He shook his head firmly. I'm staying right here until you forget that for at least a minute. He motioned towards the picture. With a sigh, she put down her brush. I suppose I'll have to humor you. Miss Charity. Jeems had not taken his eyes from the two models since he had arrived, and he did not move them now. What are they all fixed up like that for? It's a picture for a story, she explained. A story about Haiti in the old days. I reckon I know. He nodded eagerly, his face suddenly alight. That's where the blacks killed the French back in history times. Ah got me a book about it. A book in handwriting, not printing. Père Armand learned me to read it. Judson Holmes' companion moved forward. A book in handwriting, he said slowly. Could that possibly mean a diary? Charity was wiping her hands on a paint rag. It might. New Orleans was a port of refuge for a great many of the French who had fled the island during the slave uprising. It's not impossible. I've got to see it. Here, boy, what's your name? He pounced upon Jeems. Can you get that book here this afternoon? Jeems drew back. I ain't gonna bring no book here. That's mine, and you ain't gonna set eye on it. With that parting shot, he was gone. But, but, protested the other, I've got to see it. Why, such a find might be priceless. Mr. Holmes laughed. Curb your hunting instincts for one, Creighton. You can't handle a swamper that way. Let's go and see Charity's masterpiece instead. I don't remember having asked you to, she observed. Oh, see here now, wasn't I the one who got you this commission? And Creighton here is that strange animal known as a publisher's scout. And publishers sometimes desire the services of illustrators. So you had better impress Creighton as soon as possible. Well, he looked at the picture. You have done it. Even Creighton, who had been inclined to stare back over his shoulder at the point where Jeems disappeared, now gave it more than half his attention. Is that for drums of doom? he asked, becoming suddenly crisp and professional. Yes. Might do for the jacket of the book. Have Mr. Richard see this. Marvelous types. Where did he get them? he continued, looking from the canvas to Ricky and Val. Oh, I'm sorry, Miss Railstone. May I present Mr. Creighton and Mr. Holmes, both of New York? And this? She smiled at Val. Is Mr. Valerius Railstone, the brother of the owner of this plantation. The family, I believe, has lived here for about two hundred and fifty years. Creighton's manner became a shade less brusque as he took the hand Ricky held out to him. I might have known that no professional could get that look, he said. Then this isn't your place, Mr. Holmes said to Charity after he had greeted the Railstones. Mine? Goodness, no. I rent the old overseer's house. Pirate's Haven is Railstone property. Pirate's Haven? Judson Holmes' infectious grin reappeared. A rather suggestive name. The builder intended to name it King's Acres because it was a royal grant, Val informed him. But he was a pirate, so the other name was given it by the country folk, and he adopted it. And he was right in doing so because there were other freebooters in the family after his time. Yes. We are even equipped with a pirate ghost, contributed Ricky with a mischievous glance in her brother's direction. Holmes fanned himself with his hat. So romance isn't dead after all. Well, Charity, shall we stay? In town, I mean. Why? A thin line appeared between her eyes, as if she had little liking for such a plan. Well, Creighton here is on the track of a mysterious new writer who is threatening to produce a second gone with the wind. And I? Well... I like the climate. We'll see, muttered Charity. End of chapter 9 Recording by Gabriel Glenn